Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, it says, Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. Mark chapter 10 contains a series of requests. In verses 1 through 12, it was a request for an interpretation about divorce. And then this request, a request for benediction or blessing for the children in verses 13 through 16. And later there will be a request by a rich young ruler concerning eternal life in verses 17 through 31. There's a request for a coronation by a mother, the mother of James and John. She asks Jesus for a throne for her children in verses 32 through 45. And finally, there's a request for illumination from a curious man named Bartimaeus who hears that Jesus is a man who can affect miraculous cures in verses 46 through 52. The chapter also contains a series of paradoxes, things that on the surface look like they don't fit or might even be contradictory, but in fact are complementary. In verses 1 through 12, the two shall become one. Here in verses 13 through 16, how adults must become like little children. In verses 17 through 31, the first are last. And in verses 32 through 35, servants are rulers. It's no accident that the mothers pressed the disciples for Jesus to bless their children. Remember, we've been talking about marriage, divorce and remarriage and marriage leads to children. And it was a common custom for rabbis to bless children in the Jewish culture. Children were seen as a blessing, not a burden a heritage, a rich treasure in Psalm 127 and 28. As a matter of fact, if I could take you all back to the first century and expose you to family life in the first century, to be without children was a source of sorrow. And for many families, it was a source of disgrace. And so we begin with the problem with children. Look at verse 13. It says, then they brought little children to him. That he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. In Matthew's gospel we read. There were brought to him little children. That he might put his hands on them. And pray with them in Matthew chapter 19 verse 13. Luke adds. And they brought to him that is to Jesus infants. In Luke 18:15, The word infants was a word that would sometimes use. To be described even for the preborn. It was used to describe ladies who were pregnant. And it would also include the newborn, brephos. This was a common practice. Mothers bringing their newborn babies 
for prayer, for blessing by prominent rabbis. Sometimes they would celebrate the anniversary of the birth of the child and they would bring the child to the rabbi on the anniversary of his or her birth. And by the way, the word translated brought is a compound word in the Greek language, pros, pharaoh. It means to bring, but it was a word that was associated with the idea of bringing an offering. It was the idea of worship and dedication. And so part of the concept here means the idea of dedication or dedicating. And many of you who go here, you realize that that's exactly what we do. We bring our children and we dedicate them to the Lord. But remember, when we're dedicating children to the Lord, we're not so much simply dedicating the child, but we're dedicating the parents. And we as a congregation are agreeing with both parent and child that we want to cooperate with them in their bringing their child up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We are to dedicate our children to the Lord. Human beings in their lives are usually given two great trusts. Every human being is given the trust of their soul. You've been entrusted by God with a soul. And because you've been entrusted by God with a soul, you are to bring yourself to God. You have to make sure that you have a right relationship with God. For the parent, the next greatest trust is the soul of their children. We bring our children to Jesus. And don't get caught in the trap that you don't want to impart any kind of religious instruction. You want them to grow up and decide for themselves. And for whatever reason, my parents were caught up in this trap because I was raised in a, in a household uh, that was different religiously, if you will. My parents said, oh, look, whatever they want to be, let them grow up and decide for themselves. But what a mistake that is. As a matter of fact, it says, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Here the word rebuke is epi, temeo. It means to actively hinder. It means to reprove. I want you to get the picture. I want you to see moms and dads bringing their children and not of the disciples going, you know, the master's tired. Let's just leave him alone. Hey, hey, could I could, could you just please come back later? The idea here is an aggressive physical restraint. The picture is the disciples holding the parents back, pushing them back, preventing them to, from bringing the children to Jesus. So sometimes it's, it's an odd picture. In the 30s and 40s, there was a very famous entertainer named W.C. Fields. And there's a particular scene in a movie where this kid's pressing, hey, mister, hey, mister. And W.C. Fields goes, go away, kid, you bother me. That's the idea. Rodney Dangerfield describes a trip to the beach where he and his parents get separated. And in a panic, he approaches a cop and he says, hey, hey. Could you help me find my parents? And the, the cop looks at him and then looks all around and he goes, I don't know, kid. There's a lot of places where they could hide. <laughs> you may have grown up in that kind of a world. 
where it seemed like your parents weren't really that concerned. And so it's okay for you to ask yourself a question. Ask the text a question. Why? Why did the disciples restrain the parents from bringing their children? And we can't see into their hearts. We don't necessarily know their their motives, but we might guess. Some of the guesses might include, well, the children are a bother. They might think that they want to preserve the, the strength of Jesus. They actually think that they're doing a Jesus a favor, that they're trying to protect his time, that they're trying to protect his person. But their behavior is strange. And this is why. Because for those of you who have been studying along in Mark's gospel, you remember chapter 9, verse 36, where Jesus made it abundantly clear not to offend As a matter of fact, he taught them to receive children in his name, to be careful not to stumble them, to be careful not to offend them. And so the disciples seem to have at least some problem with the children. Do they see him as a bother, an inconvenience, that somehow they're less important or that they're unimportant? Clarence Darrow, who is famous for the Scopes trial, wrote, quote, the first half of our life is ruined by our parents and the second half by our children, unquote. Even the old philosopher Socrates complained, children today are tyrants. They contradict their parents. They gobble their food. They tyrannize their teachers. So what is it? Are children a blessing? A burden? Both children are one third of our population and all of our future. John Wilmot, the Earl of Rochester, said, before I got married, I had six theories of bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories. (laughs) Right when you thought. That you would do things differently than your parents. You find yourself doing things very much the same. And so look, the truth about children. Look at verse 14. It says, but when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus sees the behavior of the disciples and he is indignant. He is displeased. The word doesn't quite capture the meaning. Displeased. The word is agonize. We get the word agony from that word, from this compound word. It really is a word that means pained. But really pained. It's a strong word that would sometimes be used even to describe violent emotion. This is the kind of emotion that wells up inside of you when you see sin and injustice and abuse. It's that kind of thing where you draw a line in the sand and you go, this is just wrong. And so the force of Jesus's words is allow the little children to come to me and do not 
forbid them. This is don't restrain them. Don't prevent them. Don't hinder them. The statement contains rebuke and warning and command and promise all in a single sentence. Jesus is on record. And by the way, there's very few things in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, where Jesus is upset. And the right word is angry, even frustrated. And this is one of them. The idea is in the present imperative. It's a continuous command. Jesus is in effect saying, stop this. Stop it now. Stop hindering them. Cease and desist. We sing the song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And so Jesus is going on record and he's making it abundantly clear. There are certain things that you should do and there are certain things that you should never do. As a matter of fact, Jesus is claiming a love that's higher and holier than even a parent's love. Jesus died for them as well as for their parents. And in one sense, children belong to Jesus. Each and every one of us who have children or grandchildren have been entrusted with a holy stewardship. But the stewardship is at best temporal. And for Jesus, it is eternal. Jesus loves the children. And I need you to understand part of the point that is being made here. The very fact that Jesus would say, let them come to me. I need you to understand what part of that sentence makes you think that once you bring them to him, he will reject them. He won't reject them. The very fact that he commands you to bring them makes it an important point. He will receive them and this becomes critical. He will keep them safe for time and eternity. Children have an immortal soul. Children have also become partakers of the fall of Adam and Eve. Children have a part in the atonement of Christ. Children are open to God's grace and to God's salvation. Bring your children to Jesus and bring them while they're young. I remember all of our children. Mary, for whatever reason, seemed to have them right in the middle of the week. But it didn't matter if they were born on Monday. They're in church on Sunday. We're talking fresh out of the chute. They are in church. But again, I need you to understand something else. The Bible doesn't say bring them to church. It says bring them to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that statement for just a moment. What does that mean? What does it mean to bring the children to Jesus? Whatever else it means, let me suggest to you it at least means these three things. It means to bring them to the knowledge of Jesus. Number two, it means to introduce them to the love of Jesus. And number three, it must mean to bring them to the blessing or the benediction of Jesus. So what do we mean by To know Jesus. How are children introduced to Jesus? 
Yesterday I was in a bookstore and I came across this wonderful book. It was entitled My First Book About Jesus. It was published in 1953 and it had these amazing graphics. And you open the book and there's wonderful stories about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And it shows moms and dads bringing their children to Jesus. And so... One of the ways that you can help children know about Jesus is to read them stories about Jesus. It's to remind them in regular and ongoing conversations what it means to know him and to experience his love. But there's something else. It's our persistent and consistent example. In other words, your life and the way that you live your life, how you conduct yourself and your speech. And so we tell children about Jesus and we give them regular opportunities to hear about Jesus and see it's wonderful that you bring your children here to church but guess what maybe less than five percent of a child's life is going to be spent at church a child's life is going to be spent a lot more elsewhere than here But we need to have every opportunity to tell them about Jesus in regular and ongoing conversations and example. And children need to know about the love of Jesus. How do children experience the love of Jesus? Let me just be very clear here. What's been your experience? Are children open or closed to the love of Jesus? They are open. Way more open than adults. The child reciprocates the love of Jesus. As a matter of fact, every person who's ever had a child and you love your child. Mothers love their children. Fathers love their children. And as you're loving your child, there's a reciprocity that begins to take place. Children love you back. And it's very, very difficult to squash that love and quench that love. Children want to imitate the love of Jesus. So children learn love and they learn that they are loved by God and they learn that they are loved by Jesus. And children need to receive the benediction of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to place children under the blessing or the, or the benediction of Jesus? It means, first of all, and most of all, To consider his invitation. Bring them to me. Again, in the New Testament, do you know how many times Jesus rejects the children? Never. The very fact that they are brought becomes the opportunity for blessing. And so, it means... Not only to consider his invitation, but what if I told you it also means to consider his displeasure? One of the saddest things that ever happens at our church is when a mother comes to me crying. And she says, my husband won't let me bring my children to church. And I say, you know what? The good news, the Bible doesn't say you have to bring your children to church. The Bible says that you bring your children to Jesus. And so no matter what your husband says, here's what you do. You love your children. You model Jesus. You tell them about Jesus. You bring them to Jesus. You bring them to the place where, the, where they can be blessed. And then give them, give them this tape. 
Give your husband this tape. Jesus is very rarely angry about anything. But one thing that he has gone on record is expressing his profound displeasure for people who refuse to bring their children to him. We understand, we understand that not everybody will bring their children to church. But that shouldn't be your case. You might say, but my children don't want to go to church. Well, what do you have? Do you have a Christ-centered home? Or do you have a Christ? Do you have a child-centered home? Or do you have a Christ-centered home? Who's in charge at your house? Well, I don't want them to come to church and just be angry and upset. I don't want them to be bitter like I was when my parents forced me to go to church. I've got to tell you something. For every 19 children who come to our church, 18 love it. They love the children's ministry. They love the age-appropriate instruction that they receive. Bring your children to church. Sign your children up for vacation Bible school. Invite their friends. Invite your neighbors. Get involved in the children's ministry. So why won't people bring their children to Jesus? Well, some... Parents have never experienced the love of God. They've never experienced the salvation that's found in in Christ. They are blind. They just don't know. And by the way, we fail to bring the gospel to the whole world. And so the whole world doesn't know about Jesus. Forget that we fail to bring the gospel to the whole world. We fail to bring the gospel to our own neighborhood. Some parents have heard the gospel and rejected the gospel. And they don't want to expose their children to the gospel. But you should take every opportunity to tell them that they can know Jesus and that they can love Jesus and that they can experience the blessing of Jesus. Invite them to church. Invite your neighbors that you will bring their children to church. J. Vernon McGee made this statement. May I say, my friends, there's only one thing worse than going to hell. He said, that's to go to hell holding the hand of your child. Can you imagine? It's bad enough going to to hell, but can you imagine feeling the squeeze of your child's hand, knowing that everything that you did prevented them from going to heaven? Some simply love the world. Some simply love what this world has to offer. And by the way, if you offer to enroll children in vacation Bible school, we've experienced that scores and scores of children accept the invitation. In years past, we've had hundreds of children come from our own church, but we've had many more come from around the neighborhood. This is why it's such an important outreach. Some believers are immature and inconsistent. They're apathetic and lethargic. They let their own lack of fellowship, lack of discipleship, and lack of worship, because it's weak and neglected, they are weak and neglected when it comes to their children. Some are liberal. And I don't mean that in the political sense of the word. I mean they consider themselves so open-minded that they're willing to expose their children to everything Accept the gospel. They want their children to make their own choices. 
But then they make choices about what they're going to wear, or the books that they're going to read, or the TV and movies that they're going to watch, or the computer programs that they're going to have access to. But they won't allow them to unhear the gospel and respond to the gospel. But I've got to tell you something. All the reasons and excuses not to bring children to Jesus are misguided and misinformed. Every parent who refuses to bring their children to Jesus have embraced a false philosophy and they refuse to face spiritual reality. Let me be blunt. There is a God. There is a God. And there's God's kingdom. And whether you like it or not, each and every person is going to face God. Jesus told the religious leaders in his own day, I said, therefore, unto you that you shall die in your sins if you don't believe me. If you don't believe that I am who I say I am in John eight twenty four, In first Timothy, chapter two, verse five, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews, chapter 11, verse six, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Your child is being molded and being shaped at this very moment. They are being molded and shaped by all of the godly influences or the ungodly influences. Those who walk in darkness and those who walk in the light. Those who walk in righteousness and those who walk in unrighteousness. Bishop J.C. Ryle, over 150 years ago, put it great when he said, quote, Remember, children are born with a decided bias toward evil. And therefore, if you let them choose for themselves... They are certain to choose wrong. He writes, the mother cannot tell what her tender infant may grow up to be tall or short, weak or strong, wise or foolish. He or she may or may not be any of these things. It is all uncertain. But one thing the mother can say with certainty He will have a corrupt and sinful heart. It is natural for us to do wrong. Our hearts are like the earth on which we tread. Let it alone and it is sure to bear weeds, unquote. And so in this passage, we're given a hint. A hint at the composition of the kingdom. Look what it says. For of such is the kingdom of God. How is the kingdom of God characterized in the New Testament? It's characterized as a place. It's characterized as the place where God rules and reigns. It's characterized as the place where God is in authority and in control. But there are pockets of rebellion. There are pockets of resistance. One pocket of rebellion lies directly in the heart of Satan. But the other is every single other heart that rebels and resists Jesus's love, Jesus's grace, Jesus's mercy. Of such are the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? He's talking about 
that children are citizens of God's kingdom, at least until they are able to reason and decide and accept or reject for themselves in a very real sense. Children are the citizen of two kingdoms of heaven and earth. And in verse 15, Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you. Out of all of the passages and principles and scriptures that I've taught you in Matthew, in Mark, in John, whenever you see the term assuredly, Jesus is drawing special attention to something that he's about to say. It means truly. Now, this doesn't mean that everything that Jesus has said up until this point is not true. Again, what he's doing is he's drawing special attention to this particular point. And he says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Think about what Jesus is doing. He's opening up a window. He's opening up a door for anyone who has ever asked this question. Lord, Lord, just give me a peek into heaven. Give me a glimpse into what heaven might be like. He points to a child. The child becomes the type and the picture, the representation of what a man or a woman must be like to enter God's kingdom. The nature and character and traits of children are essential to get to heaven. Now, think about your life. Think about your life for just a moment. How many times as a child did your parents or your grandparents say, grow up? How many times did you say that to your children? I need you to grow up. And here, Jesus says, I need you to look to children. To understand the characteristics of what it means to enter the kingdom of God. When I was young, we used to sing a song. But you must become as a child. Let your father take your hand. He'll give you grace to understand and you'll come to know his plan of love and life. You have to become like a child. I know what some of you are thinking. You mean foolish, selfish and self-absorbed? No. And I don't think that that's what Jesus means. I don't think he's talking about the characteristics of foolishness, selfishness, and self-absorption. I think he's talking about the traits of dependence and innocence and trust. Children are dependent and trusting. Children have no means to care or support themselves. In the world of a child, a father and a mother provide everything and do everything. The child trusts everyone, even when it's dangerous. The child has to be taught to exercise a healthy fear and criticism and skepticism about strangers. The child has to be taught that there are dangers all around. To the child, everyone is a friend. No one is an enemy. And there are few strangers. A child enjoys much but can explain little. Children live by faith, and by faith they accept their lot. They trust others to care for them and to see them through. And children are hardwired to obey and learn, and often they will do exactly what they're told. And I know what you're thinking, but why why isn't that true in my house? Well, it is true. That a child can be selfish, but a child can be humble and forgiving. 
A child is rarely interested in prominence or fame or power or wealth or position. The child isn't the one who pushes himself or herself forward in order to be noticed. Jesus is speaking about normal children in healthy environments. And I know what you're thinking at this point. Oh, now I get it. Because I didn't grow up in a healthy environment and under normal circumstances. Well, maybe not. I know I didn't. I had an uncle. I I won't speak for you. I bet you everyone in your family is normal. But I had an uncle who wasn't quite all there. And once when I was little, he placed me on top of the refrigerator and he said, come on, uncle will catch you. Come on. It's okay. I'll catch you. Go ahead, jump. And I jumped with a smile on my face and he moved and I hit the ground. And he said, this is your first lesson. Never trust anyone. He's not talking about this. Sadly, most people will read this passage through the lens of their own experience, whether that experience was normal or not normal. I spent seven years in social services, four as a caseworker and three as the supervisor of the department. And I'll never forget the time when we brought in a child and the child had been abused terribly by her mother. As a matter of fact, we counted 180 marks on this child's body where she had been beaten with a clothes hanger. And so we were working with the family and we were working to reunite the family. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget what happened. When we brought the child in, she crawled into her mother's lap and her mother was sobbing and her mother was crying and sobbing and crying. And a little girl took the tissue and said, Mommy, Mommy, stop crying. It's okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Children have an enormous capacity in the midst of the most horrific experience To love and to trust and to forgive. We enter God's kingdom by faith like children, helpless, dependent. We are dependent on the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. We enjoy God's kingdom by faith, believing that the Father loves us and will provide for us. My little granddaughter was having breakfast the other day and she was she thought she was done and just with one little word she looks at me and she goes help and her mother looks at her and says grandpa's not going to help you you're not done with your breakfast but i wanted to (laughs) but children do that They ask their mom, they ask their dad, they ask grandma and grandpa for help. When they are hurt, they ask for help. When they have a problem, they ask for help. We are to be childlike, but we are not to be childish. And then he notes the terrible consequences. 
you must become like a child or you will by no means enter it. You might look at the text and you might say, I want to go to heaven. Good. I want you to go to heaven. Are you innocent or guilty? Do you trust God or don't trust God? Do you depend on the Lord or not depend on the Lord? Have you experienced forgiveness of sin and eternal life? What will happen to the man? What will happen to the woman who refuses to come to God in Christ in childlike simplicity, in childlike dependence, in childlike trust? In Matthew chapter 19, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says he shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But you must become as a child. So what does Jesus mean? The child trusts and depends on Jesus. The child experiences the warmth, the tenderness, the care, the love of Jesus. The child listens to the word of God, the call of Jesus and the invitation of Jesus. That's called the gospel. He or she trusts and hears and depends that Jesus will take care of them now and forever. Don't you understand why it's so important for you to be involved in the life of your child? Don't you understand why you have this amazing opportunity to get involved in the life of a child? You might find yourself in a chapter and a circumstance in your life where you can't do what you wished that you could do. But you can pray. You can pray for the vacation Bible school. You can pray that God will raise up men and women to do the work of the ministry. You can pray that student ministers will go door to door and house to house and knock. You can pray that parents will go to their neighbors and their children and say, we would love for you to be Given an opportunity to hear the gospel, to hear about Jesus and the love of Jesus and the blessing that's available for Jesus. The psalmist wrote in 131 verse 2, surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. In other words, it's the child who's dependent. The child responds and surrenders to Jesus and the child is ready, willing and able to respond to Jesus. And look what it says in verse 16. And he took them up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus doesn't reject them. He receives them. And the scene is wonderful and warm and it's full of care and genuine concern. Think about it. In the book of Proverbs, we read, I love them that love me and that seek me early. They shall find me. And the blessing of Jesus isn't based on how wonderful or rational or capable or spiritual either the parents or the children. He doesn't say, bring me. The beautiful children, like my grandchildren. He says, bring me all of the children. Bring them all to me. Bring me the ones that nobody else wants. 
Bring me the ones who've been abused. Bring me the ones who've been isolated. Bring me the ones who've been rejected. Bring me the ones who have less and less so that I can give them more and more. And I want you to note what else. It isn't so much that the children touch Jesus, but he touches them. Look and read it for yourself. He took them up in his arms. He laid his hands on them. He does it according to his purpose and he does it according to his will. He chooses to touch them. He chooses to bless them. And not one single child who is brought to him is ever rejected. Jesus receives them and they respond to him. Now, I want you to think about this. Children have nothing to give but themselves. No wonder they're so tender. No wonder they're so open. No wonder they're so willing. You see, the child looks to others to provide for them and to teach them and protect them and care for them. And so they're ready to respond. All they need is someone who will present warmth and affection and tenderness and the love of Jesus Christ. Spurgeon wrote, Those children who are of sufficient years to sin and be saved by faith have to listen to the gospel and receive it by faith. And this they can do, the Holy Spirit helping them. There is no doubt about it because great numbers have done it. I will not say at what age children are first capable of receiving the knowledge of Christ, but it's much earlier than some have fancied. That's good. You know what I say? It's better to build strong children than to repair adults. But I'll do both. Bring your children to Jesus. Read to them stories about Jesus. Talk to them about Jesus and listen to them when they have something to say and live your life as if the Bible is true and heaven is real. Bring your children to church. Bring them to the children's church. Enroll them in vacation Bible school. Volunteer to serve. Introduce them to the love of Jesus. The child already believes in the love of Jesus. And they want to reciprocate. Place your child under the benediction of Jesus. Consider his invitation. Bring them to me. Consider his displeasure. Do not forbid them. Consider his blessing. I'll touch them. I'll pray for them. I'll be there for them. Remember when you see things through the lens of your own experience? And there was someone who left you behind. Or left you alone. Or left you to your own devices. That's not who God is. And that's definitely not who Jesus is. He loves the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for every family in our church and every 
mom and dad and grandparent. Lord, we pray for each and every person who has been given a sacred trust. And Lord, we believe as a church that we've been given a sacred trust. To tell people about Jesus. To model the love of Jesus. And to bring our children into a place where they can receive the blessing and the benediction of Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that you would stir people's hearts. Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you and say, Lord, maybe I'm in a place in my life and a chapter in my life where I can make a difference in the heart and in the life of a child. Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit out on this place and I pray that you would pour your favor out on this place and I pray that you would pour your spirit out on this community. I pray for unbelieving moms and dads in this neighborhood that when they are invited to allow their children to go to vacation Bible school, whatever is motivating them, free child care, fun and games and activities for free, Lord, we don't care what's motivating them. We care what's motivating you. The children are precious and important. Lord, give us the courage to do what we can do. To be resources, companions, in our quest to make the scripture come true. To bring children to you. In Jesus' name, amen.